I encourage you families to continue to pray for these fathers, these men, that they would show the beauty of God's love to their families. We live in a society that is doing all it can to erode just this family structure. Well, we are working through the Ten Commandments. This two years in our church, we are going through the Old Testament, looking at Christ in the Old Testament. And we're taking this summer looking at the Ten Commandments. And each week what we're doing is we're going, we're looking at one commandment, and then what we're doing is we're looking at this understanding how the Old Testament, how did the Old Testament present this? We've got a picture of that here. How did the Old Testament portray? What's the, what's the background? It's important to understand the background of the laws. We took three weeks alone just looking at Leviticus and understanding the background of Old Testament laws. We're looking at the Old Testament. Then we're going to look at the New Testament. How did Jesus look at this specific commandment or transform it? It's amazing. Jesus, as we go through some of these, we'll see that Jesus didn't just restate the commandment. He transformed it to be such a greater, deeper level than people were taking it. And then we're going to look at following that commandment today. And then we're going to end with look at this little story that is called Timmy and the Ten Commandments. Our statement is this, the Ten Commandments help us turn to Jesus. Again, the commandments are a great reflection of the righteousness of God, but it's also a mirror to our own hearts. We need a Savior. The Ten Commandments help us turn to Jesus as we see our sins and guide us to love God and love others. Now, laws can be very interesting. When you look at different laws, we've been going through some of the laws in the Old Testament. It's very interesting. Do you know that in Alabama, there's a law that you cannot drive blindfolded? All right? That's a good one. Apparently, they need it more than we do. I don't know why, but they have this law that you, it's illegal to drive blindfolded. Wisconsin, we know that that's not a smart thing to do. Laws can be very interesting. But many times, if you don't know the background, they can be very confusing. For instance, in Kentucky... It is against the law to take an ice cream cone and put it in your back pocket. Now, that may seem like a funny law, and right away, as a kid, you might be going, because my mom doesn't want to do the laundry again, right? My parents will be, oh, your clothes are messy. But in Kentucky, it is an actual law that you cannot put an ice cream cone in your back pocket. Well, why is this a law? It seems like a funny law at first. But if you know the background, it can help you. Before cars were around, back in the old days, there were a lot of horse thieves. And horse thieves would do this. They'd put an ice cream cone in their back pocket, walk through the town, and get near a horse, and the horse would be like, yummy! And he would just keep walking, and the horse would follow, and he'd steal the horse. So this law in the 1800s was written, you cannot put ice cream cones in your back pocket. It makes sense now why you can't do that. In Wisconsin, we have a couple laws that may seem weird at first. This one doesn't seem weird. In Wisconsin, butter substitutes at restaurants are banned to be at the table. Well, it makes sense. We're the dairy state, right? We got the greatest place for dairy and cheese and butter. That makes sense to us. Nothing is better than Wisconsin butter. Right? Right, all right. In a public eating establishment, 
They cannot put margarine on the table. It has to be butter. It's one of our laws. Well, to us, that makes sense. To a foreigner, maybe from a different land like Illinois, that might be you know, confusing to them. But we have these things called blue laws. Have you heard of blue laws before? Blue laws are specifically mainly for Sundays, closed on Sunday. I wish we had more blue laws today. In Wisconsin, it is against the law for a car dealership to sell vehicles on Sunday. It's a blue law. Why blue laws? This is why they were written. Time <clears throat> is better spent with family and friends at church. Even in Rice Lake, we have a sound ordinance. On Sundays, the sound decibels have to be lower during church service so people are not distracted from worshiping God. I like <clears throat> some of the blue laws. They're great. So as we go through the Old Testament, it's so important to understand the background of why these laws were written. When we go to Kentucky, I'm tempted to put an ice cream cone in the pocket to see if I do. I don't want to get arrested. Okay, to see if I get in trouble. <clears throat> so take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're looking at the original background, this understanding of the story. <clears throat> laws were given in a specific context to a specific people. We've been working through that. And to know that situation helps us understand what this law is about. The motivation for obeying the commandments. And a lot of times people get to the Ten Commandments and go, oh, look at all these do's and don'ts. I don't like this stuff. But the motivation for obedience is found in the first part of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, 1 through 2. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We took some time looking at that. This is not just a God who's bringing lightning bolts on people. He is their saving God. He saved them and they have this relationship with Him. He's a personal God he just didn't say that he was greater he showed that he was greater and we saw that in the deliverance we took over a month looking at the beauty of that laws were given to the israelites who were already saved already redeemed again i'm gonna say this every week exodus 12 13 and 14 the salvation event came before the laws chapter 19 and 20 Salvation is not a reward for obeying. But salvation is a reason for obeying. They were called to this loving relationship with their Savior. And out of that, the way to show their love was to obey. So last week we looked at the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. The first was about who to worship don't have other gods okay that's the first commandment who to worship whereas the second commandment is about how to worship don't make or worship images that's basically what this commandment is saying don't make or worship so let's look at starting with verse four you shall not make 
for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of all those who hate me, but showing love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now it's interesting that the first and second commandment are very closely associated with one another. In fact, the Catholics and Lutherans, in their Ten Commandment list, they combine this as one commandment, whereas we have this as two commandments. In fact, at this time, the usher is going to come around, and where do I have my, did I leave it at the, here it is. We have these, and we want everyone to have one of these. We made these for you because, go ahead, you can start handing these out. Everyone gets one, even kids who can read. We want you this summer to memorize the Ten Commandments, okay? As we go through this, we want you to memorize this. In fact, 50 years ago, if not more, most people knew the Ten Commandments. Now, we don't really remember what they all are, so this is going to help you memorize the Ten Commandments. And for some of you that are little, what we have done is we didn't rewrite them, We've boiled them down to a simpler phrase for some of the little kids on the back side. These are the Ten Rules, the summary of the Ten Commandments. Because some of the Ten Commandments are multiple verses. We encourage you adults, memorize these Ten Commandments. You probably have, some of you have these memorized already. We encourage you to memorize. So everyone gets one of these cards, the Ten Commandments. Also, if you noticed in the last part of this commandment, it says, I'm a jealous God, punishing the children of the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. But then he says, that's only three generations. And then he says, but showing love to thousands of generations. And some of us are very inquisitive. We like to try to figure everything out. And this we get hung up on sometimes. So what I've done is I've reprinted, for some of you that are very curious, we're not going to cover and get into details of what that part of the commandment is, Four years ago, I preached a sermon on Exodus 34, verse 7, that, that states this. And I've reprinted that for you. If you want to know what that all means, here's a biblical explanation, punishing the third and fourth generation, but showing love to the thousands of generations. So this is in the back at our resource center if you want to study that a little bit deeper than where we're going this morning. In the ancient world, Many tried to make everything a god. Stars, images, they'd carve different things. They would do all they can to find different things. They would make people gods. The Nile River was a god. Everything around them seemed to be God. They would worship these things. The first commandment is about who to worship. The second is about how to worship. Don't make physical representations of the eternal and invisible God. God is invisible. John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. He doesn't have a physical aspect to him. God is to be separate from creation. And anyone that would make something to represent God, the Father, in a physical, bring him down to creation, would be a violation of the second commandment. 
don't do that. Because God is eternal. He is completely separate from creation. God is jealous. And no image, nothing we can fabricate, can contain the glory of God. There's no way it can happen. It's impossible to do that. He is always greater than we can imagine. Don't make an image of the portrait of God. Now, this isn't saying that God is, again, artwork. He's not saying, oh, you artists don't use artwork. In fact, just in Exodus alone in chapter 25, listen to some of the words God says, and you shall make two angels of gold, of hammered work, you shall make them, and put them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Get the artist, have them make these two beautiful angels, do that. Further on in the chapter it says, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold my daughter's an artist she just graduated high school and she was artist of the year i love all her artwork and for graduate you're looking at some of her early pictures she's like oh wow but i was like that was one of my favorite ones because i didn't know what it was and neither did you it's not against about being an artist but do not make man-made things that represent god don't make, and secondly, don't worship. Here it is. Don't worship God the wrong way. Don't do it the wrong way. You cannot worship God as you want. People love to do that. We'll talk about that today. People love doing worship the way they want to get to God. God says, don't do that. You cannot worship God as you want. Worship God as He wants. Religious symbols don't have powers. Sometimes we, we laugh at that, like, oh, we've got rabbit's feet or whatever. Religious symbols don't have powers. In Jeremiah 7, the people treated the temple like a luck charm. And God's saying, don't do that. The temple doesn't have special powers. All power belongs to God. Back in the early 90s, there was a popular church in the Chicago area and the preacher got a new pulpit it was like a glass kind of plexiglass thing and that thing every church in the area started getting that special pulpit because that had special powers people treated it like that a special pulpit is not a luck charm a cross around your neck doesn't help you pass a test religious symbols don't have special powers a rosary on your rear view mirror doesn't protect you from a car accident don't make and don't worship images made by men. As we're looking at idolatry here, as I've studied through Scripture, there are three forms of idolatry found in Scripture. The first kind is this, made images. They worshipped the material rather than the radiant glory of God. They're quick to make something and go, these are the gods who delivered you from the Egyptians. They had made images. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, Hezekiah just became king, and he realized the temple was just all nailed and closed up. They opened it up, and they realized that people were worshiping religious items in there. And they pulled them out, and people were like, oh, it's the bronze serpent! Oh, our deliverer! And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. They took all those religious items and 
through them in Kidron Valley. Don't make images. These objects, these religious duties, even songs can at times be objects of worship. In fact, a few years ago I talked about modern idolatry in America, worshiping worship. We're all about worship, not style of worship, but object of worship. These things are to help us express and remind us as we respond to the God of whom we worship. So idolatry in Scripture, the most common way we understand is made images. But idolatry is not confined to just a physical object in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Also, idolatry can be found as a fabrication of their imagination, reducing God of who he really is in his greatness of glory to how we can understand him. Don't make or don't imagine God like yourself as a man. Don't make an image out of the idea of how you want God to be. In the third area this happens, idolatry, made images, fabrication of their imagination, and then anything that replaces God in their lives. That can be idolatry. God is to be the highest value, number one in your life. And when you put something else and replace him, that is idolatry. So the second commandment summary is this. Worship God as he wants, not as you want. So now let's look at the New Testament. How does the New Testament look at this and transform this? Sometimes we think that idols were only found in the Old Testament. and the New Testament, everything changed when Jesus came around. It's not really true. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts 17. Acts 17. Here Paul is doing some evangelism, visiting different people. And he's... In Athens, Acts chapter 17, verse 16 says this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. The city was full of idols. Drop down to verse 22, Acts 17, 22. Then Paul stood up in the meeting. And he says, people of Athens, I love this, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. And he says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. They're worshiping the wrong God in the wrong way. The first and second commandment. And then he says there's the beauty of God. He begins to share this great message. They're worshiping, but doing it the wrong way. Idolatry is found throughout even the New Testament. Don't worship images. Don't worship idols. Don't let idols get in your life. In fact, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21 says this. Dear children... Keep yourselves free from idols. Don't get involved with idols. 
Now, in the New Testament, there's much I could share about this. We could take an hour looking at the New Testament, all the different aspects, but I want to get right to the point. In the New Testament, we learn that you cannot worship God without Christ. That's a line you should memorize. We are dealing with people that have different world belief systems, different world religions. You cannot worship God without Christ. We see this evident throughout all of the New Testament. In many ways, the birth of Jesus was uniquely fulfilling the second commandment. Jesus, with the full essence of who God is, became man. His glory dwelt among us. We truly should keep the invisible God invisible. But now we have his son. Listen to how Colossians 1.15 says it. The son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Or John 14.9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. When they looked at Jesus, they saw the glory of God. So in the New Testament, Jesus fulfills this second commandment in a unique way because he's the Son of God and he displays the beauty of God. Though Jesus is the fulfillment of the second commandment, this commandment still stands. Christ is God's gift and we are called to worship Christ, not other things in this world. The New Testament is all about we must worship Christ. When you read through the book of Revelation, you realize the beauty of worshiping Christ. Here it is. Treasure Christ. Only in Him can we truly understand and follow the second commandment. True worship is adoration of the Father through Jesus Christ, powered by the Spirit. Adoration of the Father, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Jesus comes and displays the beauty of God. Worship Christ. Let me jump to following the commandment today. How are we to live in this commandment? First, make sure you worship the correct God. That's the first commandment. There's many things you can worship and follow. Follow God only. As I said last week, God is number one in my life. What's number two? God. Number three, number four, number five. And then my wife comes because if she's number two, uh, that might get confusing for me and I just, you know, she becomes the most. God is number one. God is number two. Number three, worship the correct God. And the secondly, make sure you worship him correctly. The second commandment. The first commandment, total devotion to God alone. He must be your number one. Love God with all that you are. Sincerity of belief and worship is not enough if you're worshiping the wrong God. You can be sincere and believe all that you want, and if you're worshiping the wrong God, you're in trouble. God is to be the highest value and first in your life. And the second commandment, what is most pleasing to God, 
is not worshiping him in a unique, cool way, but worshiping him the way he wants you to worship. Worshiping him the way he wants. So how should we form thoughts about God? Here's the big question. How do we then think about God? How do we think about God the Father? What should we do? Well, number one, don't make. Don't make physical representations of the eternal and invisible God. Don't start creating and start going, oh, this is what God is like. When you do that, you get in trouble. When you step out of the bounds of what Scripture says, you get in trouble. God the Father is to be separate from creation. And as you know, I'm a little bit more conservative in many areas. And my opinion is this. I'm not a fan of paintings of God the Father. For instance, here's a famous one. Michelangelo's famous painting of God, touching the finger of Adam, the creation of Adam. I mean, it's beautiful, great artwork. But as as my sister-in-law would disagree with me, she'd say, that's totally fine, Cody. So there's different viewpoints in Christianity about this, but I'm more conservative. I would say, you know what? Don't have any physical representation of God. So in my opinion, this would be breaking the second commandment. But Jesus, on the other hand, he was born, he was given a physical body where God the Father is eternal and invisible, where Jesus was given a physical body. Thus, I don't think it's wrong to draw pictures of Jesus because he had a physical body. Just don't get hung up on your idea of what Jesus looked like because we don't have pictures of that. In fact, most of our paintings in America are these you know, white guy with blue eyes and flowing hair, you know, like that. It's just, you know, we don't have that. Don't get hung up on your image of what Jesus is like. We don't have an accurate portrait of Jesus. I encourage you, if you see a picture of Jesus, don't worship that picture. Don't make it become an idol. Be careful not to think that Christ is in that picture, or don't pray to that picture. I saw an aspect of Christianity this week I was looking at they have statues of Jesus and people were worshiping and bowing down to him I'm like oh that's just not good and then I saw a picture of they had Mary and little children statues so there, not only was it statues but statues worshiping statues I'm like oh this can get out of control don't do that don't make physical representations of the eternal invisible God how should we form thoughts about God secondly don't worship images we often picture worship of idols in the old testament bowing down to wood and stone while that form of worship still takes place all around the world even in america when i go overseas when i was in the philippines man it's just messed up there they're worshiping idols all over the place we can still have today in our hearts we talked about this last week ungodly pleasures ungodly passions ungodly positions and ungodly possessions that take god's place of first importance do not worship your position do not worship and make of greatest value your possessions your passions god must be number one if those things get close i would say that becomes an idol this can be seen in back to the three understandings of idolatry made images 
Even in church history, there's been a big debate about icons in the church. In fact, I went to a, one ch- I went to a church one time, and it was in a circle, and they gathered, and they put a bunch of religious icons. He said, focus on the icons for 10 minutes. And I'm like, I want to focus on Jesus. And everyone's like, pray to the icons. I'm like, this is just weird. There is no magical and superstitious qualities attached to these images. Don't do that. Don't make images that distract people from God. Secondly, the fabrication of our imagination. Reducing God from who he truly is to what we want him to be. And this is one of the problems in the church of America. We want people to come to church, fill our churches, our parking lots. We want a lot of people here, so here's one of the problems. It's common today for some people to want to make God more relevant. Hey, God is cool, so come and worship him. Here it is. We want to make God more relevant by going down the path of irreverency. Reducing God from who he truly is to make it so he's more palatable so we can put him in our back pocket. Calvin says this, it is man's nature to be an idol factory, making God according to our own pleasure, reducing God from who he truly is to what makes it easy for us. We have turned our thinking of God towards ourselves and bringing down God to our own broken and shattered image. How should we form thoughts about God? Don't imagine what God is like outside of how he portrays himself in Scripture. Moses is like, hey, God, I want to see your glory. And God says, ah, Exodus 34. Here's how I'm going to show you my glory. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He begins to just show in 13 words who he is. Don't start thinking, oh, this is how I think God is like. We already know what he is like found in this word. That's why I say, keep your fingers in the word and your eyes on the prize. Know how he is like found in scripture. God is known by what he says and what he does found in scripture. That's how we should understand who God is. And then lastly in this section here, anything that replaces God in our lives. God is to be the highest value. Even good things become idols in our lives. Hobbies, jobs, people, money, power, fame, technology, food, nature, health, entertainment, political systems. And as I said, modern idolatry in America, worship has become an idol. These things are not bad in themselves but they can corrupt true, pure worship when they take the wrong place. Do not have anything that distracts you from the beauty of Jesus Christ. So here it is, in closing, treasure Christ. Only in Him can we truly understand and follow the second commandment. Right at this time, Pastor Luke's going to come up and continue the story of Timmy and the Ten Commandments. Timmy and the Ten Commandments, a story that reviews the Ten Commandments, helping us turn to Jesus as we see our sins and guide us to love God 
and love others. Chapter three. School is finally out for the summer. The last day was this past Monday and every home that has school-aged children was filled with celebration, at least by the kids. Hearts were full of relief for finishing all the requirements and hopeful dreams of what the next two and a half months held filled the minds of each child as they began to make lists of everything they wanted to do with their time, from building time machines out of cardboard sticks and duct tape to going to the drive-in with visiting cousins. Yes, each kid had high expectations that this would be the best summer ever. The Taborski household was no different than any other in Spice Lake. And after school on Monday, once Timmy and Jonathan got in the car with their mom, she drove through the McDonald's drive-through for their annual We Made It Through Another Year ice cream cone. Just as they were pulling in their driveway, Timmy was finishing the best part of a McDonald's cone. You know, that little crisscross section at the bottom. Timmy always pushed the vanilla ice cream down with his tongue as he went, so each little square was full, and the last bite was the most enjoyable. As he entered the house, he flung his shoes off and ran to his bedroom. As he placed his backpack down at his desk chair, he picked up his Bible and jumped on his bed, belly flop style, landing with his head facing his pillow. Timmy had been trying to make a habit to go right to his room after school that past week to spend at least five minutes reading his Bible. It was one of the things he decided to do in order to obey the first commandment that Taborsis had read about the week before. Once he realized that he was more devoted to baseball than God, his parents helped him come up with ideas of how to put God first, and reading his Bible more was one of those ways. Before Timmy opened his Bible, he always liked to pray to ask God to help him understand his word. The Bible often seemed confusing, and even when Timmy did understand what he read, it was hard for him to stay focused. His mind would easily wander to the Spice Lake salamanders and the first practice that was later that week. Or his eyes would see a bird out of the window and he would start to think, what would life be like if I had wings? Or he would, well, you get the idea. He got easily distracted. So Timmy would begin his devotions with prayer. To help him from getting distracted when he prayed, Timmy closed his eyes. Another thing that Timmy did while he was praying was picture what God might look like. It's hard to talk and listen to someone you can't see, so Timmy found it helpful to think of God looking like his dad. Timmy figured that God is often called our father, and Timmy's father was pretty, pretty great. Sure, he wasn't perfect, but he loved Jesus, led the Taborski family well, and was the strongest person that Timmy could think of. So Timmy figured it was a good picture to think about why he was praying. Once he prayed, he opened his Bible to the book of Psalms. His mom had suggested reading through parts of Psalms because King David's heart of worship is a good example of how we too should give attention and praise to God. After his devotions, Timmy closed his Bible, jumped down from his bed, grabbed his baseball glove, and headed out to the yard to play catch, not even bothering to put his shoes back on because it had finally gotten warm enough to go barefoot outside. That evening, after he had cleaned up from their scrumptious dinner of perfectly grilled burgers and homemade sweet potato fries, Timmy was allowed to watch a show with his parents that, that went a little later than his normal bedtime, as school nights were now a thing of the past, at least for a little while. The next day was the first official full, full day of summer break, and it was one for the books. After a chocolate chip pancake breakfast, Timmy's mom took him and Rosemary to the pool. 
Timmy's friend from school, Bryce, was there as well. And they swam and played sharks and minnows for hours, only taking a break to eat their packed lunches. When they got home, Timmy ran to his room, and after changing from his wet clothes, he did his devotions, just like the day before, as Mom began preparing the classic Taborski Taco Tuesday meal. Dinner was served and devoured, and then it was time for family devotions, so Timmy's dad once again opened the Bible to Exodus 20. This week, they were reading the second commandment. He read, You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. As Timmy listened, he again thought, who would worship an idol? I remember talking about the Israelites worshiping the golden calf they had made from Sunday school, but I've never done anything like that. But then Timmy's dad continued to explain all that this commandment meant. Though his explanation kept being interrupted by him correcting Rosemary to not pick her nose or to stop playing with the tomatoes left on her plate or for her to stop saying, humph. How atrocious, after every one of his sentences. This was a phrase she had picked up from one of the princess shows she had watched. But between his corrections, Timmy picked up that the first commandment was mostly about who we worshipped, and the second commandment was about how we worshipped. We are to only worship God, and we are not to worship him through anything that is made or seen. That is, except through Jesus, who is the only one through whom we can truly worship God. Timmy's head had so many questions, but before he could ask anything, Jonathan, his brother, asked one. I thought Jesus was God. Tim, um, Timmy's dad briefly agreed that that was true and reminded everyone that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And God had to send himself, God the Son, to earth so that mankind would worship him and have the right relationship with him. To this, Rosemary again responded with her new catchphrase, how atrocious, not really knowing what it meant. In complete frustration, Timmy's dad slammed his hand down on the table and sharply told Rosemary to go to her room. In her dramatic yet understandable fashion, she burst into tears and ran to her bedroom. Timmy's mom flashed a glance towards his dad that asked, was that really necessary? Then ran after Rosemary, leaving the boys at the table. After a few moments of sitting in silence, Mr. Taborski slowly stood up and left the table to go to Rosemary's room as well. As Jonathan and Timmy were left at the table, Timmy began to wonder if God, like his dad, lost his patience too. After all, Timmy thought God looked like his dad, so he must act a lot like him as well. After a while, the three came out of the room. They each seemed fine, though they were all much quieter the rest of the evening. That night, as Timmy was climbing into bed, his dad entered the room. Once Timmy was under his covers, his dad sat down on the edge of his comforter and said, Timmy, I needed to ask for your forgiveness. I acted wrongly in my frustration tonight towards your sister, and you were a part of that. Please forgive me for not responding correctly. Timmy responded with a quick but rather quiet, of course, Dad, I forgive you. Thank you, son, his dad said in return. He then bent down and kissed Timmy on the forehead and said, good night. But before he stood up all the way, Timmy asked, hey, Dad, do you think God looks like you? With a surprised look on his face, his, ass, his dad asked, what do you mean? Timmy explained that he meant, or, Timmy explained what he meant and how he pictured God to look like him when he prayed and how he thought God probably acted like him too. Timmy's dad sat back down and thought for a minute. He told Timmy that God the Father doesn't have a form for he is spirit and then went on to remind Timmy of the commandment that they had read earlier. 
putting a picture to God other than Jesus, God the Son, was breaking that commandment. He shared that he too struggles with obeying that commandment at times, but he knows when he pictures God a certain way, he's putting him in a box or comparing him to something way less and way imperfect. He says that God is the perfect father while he is imperfect, like he got mad and yelled in sinful ways like he had earlier at the dinner table. Timmy really didn't know what to think about this. How was he supposed to pray to God without having a picture in his mind? He shared that concern with his dad. His dad said, like everything, we should ask God to help Timmy. He also reminded Timmy that we have been given a great gift in the Bible, a book that tells us everything we need to know about God and who he is. Timmy's dad then prayed with Timmy and asked God for help to not picture him in a way that wasn't right. He asked God for help to worship him in the right way and to not put our sinful human thoughts on what God might be. He asked for help to understand who he truly is by reading the Bible. After they were done praying, Timmy did feel better, though he was still unsure about what he would, um, still unsure about how he would pray moving forward. But he did know that God would help him obey and know him better. Pastor Luke, you stand with me as we're going to sing our last song. And again, we're going to sing this every Sunday, all summer long. And if you get tired of it, I'm going to come beside you and go, oh, don't get tired of this song. Let me read to you out of Romans chapter 11. After Paul just penned amazing depth of theology and the beauty of what Christ has done in his great work on the cross and resurrection, saving us, he says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his path beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's celebrate the goodness of God in this classic song. <laughs>